the Lord on a Sunday night. Amen? Amen. Just so excited for what God is doing in uh, each and every one of your lives in our church. And he's just moving and growing, and it's just exciting to see the hand of God moving in our lives. I want to talk tonight about limitless. If you'll get your Bibles with me tonight, we're going to start out in Psalm 78. And I will be all over the place, but this will be our text tonight. You guys cannot get quiet on me. Please don't get quiet on me. I mean, lots of amens and clappings and help help the sister out, okay? (laughs) Amen. Uh, Psalm 78, starting at verse 39. Psalm 78, starting with verse, excuse me, starting with verse, yes, 39. For he remembered that they were but flesh a breath that passes away and does not come again. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the enemy. I want to talk about limitless. Well, in our text tonight, it talks about how that they limited God. You know, God is without limit. He is limitless. Would you agree with that tonight? We serve a limitless Lord. There's no limit for our God, and there's nothing too great for Him. There's no depression too deep. There's no circumstance too overwhelming. There's no situation too big for our God, for He is limitless. You know, we learn about some words that speak of his character. So there are some important words, and one of them is omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing. The future, your future, is not a mystery to God. That just really caught me that my future is a mystery to me, but it's not a mystery to God. I can trust him. Isaiah 46, 9, and 10 says, For I am God, and there is no other like me declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done. There's nothing that catches him by surprise. Your future is not a mystery to God. So we know that he's omniscient. We know that he's omnipresent, meaning that our Lord is not limited to time like you and I. He's not limited by geography. We are bound by time. We are bound by uh, by one place. We are we are in one place at one time, but God can be in everywhere at one time. He's not limited to anywhere, but he's everywhere. Amen? He'll be everywhere at once. So he is omniscient and omnipresent. He's with us now. He redeemed our past, and he is orchestrating our future. He is limitless, not bound by time, space, or matter. And he's also omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. Nothing makes him distraught where he's wringing his hands in worry and anxiety as we sometimes do. He's not worried. I said he's not worried. He's omnipresent. He's all-powerful. There is nothing that our God cannot do. His hand is not too short that he can't reach. He's not too... Uh, just limited on power, but he is all power. Not some powerful, but all powerful. But even though our Lord is without limit, even though he's omniscient and he's omnipresent and he's om- omnipotent, 
see in our text that the children of Israel again and again grieved and tempted God. They limited the Holy One of Israel, it said. I don't know about you, but I don't want to limit him in my life. I don't want to get to heaven and say, well, there was so much more that he wanted to do, but I limited him. I don't want to limit God, for we know that he is limitless. And how can we limit the Lord? If you look back in Numbers 13 and 14, chapters 13 and 14, and we're not going to turn over there. I'm just going to go through probably a few scriptures that you can write down and read later. But in Numbers 13 and 14, there were 12 spies that were sent out to spy out the land of Canaan. Moses and Aaron, the Lord had sent them to send out 12 spies to go and look at the land of Canaan and bring back reports. So if you remember, they went out and they were out 40 days and, and 10 of them came back and they brought fruit as they were asked to do and said, you're right, the, the, the land is, you know, it truly flows with milk and with honey, but nevertheless, you know, the people are stronger than we are and, and, and we're just, we're not able to go up against them. We just... They just had a bad report. They didn't bring any good news. They brought a little good news, but then they said, yeah, but it, it, we just can't overcome them. They're too large. They're too big. But there were two spies, and if you remember, it was Caleb, Caleb and Joshua. And they had a little bit different outlook of what they seen. They seen it just a little bit different. They saw something that the rest of them did not see. They said, let us go at once and take possession. They didn't say, oh, well, you know, they're just too big for us. We can't do it. They said, let us go at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. For the land is an exceedingly good land. You see, the way that you look at your situation is so important. Do you see through the eyes of, of God and, and what he can do for you, or do you just see how negative it is and how we just can't do it because we aren't strong enough and we don't have enough resources and, and we just don't know what we're going to do. They were filled with fear, but Caleb and Joshua said, do not fear the people of the land. You know, that night when the ten uh, spies came home with the bad report, it says that they cried through the night. They were upset and thinking that they were just not going to be able to go into the land of Canaan. But it says that Joshua and Caleb had a different report, and they said, the Lord is with us. We can do this because God goes with us. If he delights in us, he will bring us into the land and that he will give it to us. They had a different perspective. Your perspective is so important. Your perspective and how you look at things is so important important. And you, you say, now who was right? Was the ten spies right or was the two spies right? You know, both of them are right because the ten, they, they said, well, it cannot be done and they died in the wilderness. They never made it over to the land of Canaan. But the two that said, no, we can go, we can take the land, they went on in to the land of Canaan. They crossed on over. They had eyes of faith. We've got to see with the, with the size of our God more than with the size of our enemy. 
need to see the size of our God more than the size of our enemy, for the Lord is with us. And if he is with us, what does that say? That if God is for us, who can be against us? Lord, give us a godly perspective. Give us eyes that we can see with a godly perspective, not a godless perspective. Our perception is key. We sometimes want to say, but look, Lord, this is why it won't work here. This, you know, we don't have enough money. We, we don't have enough resources. There's, there's not enough people. I'm not strong enough. I, I'm not qualified. I'm not. You give them all of these excuses of why life is so bad and why it can't work out. But instead of you wanting the Lord to look at what you don't have, he wants us to look at what provision he has. Because he is without limit. We have limits, but when we serve the Almighty that has no limit, then we can know that no matter, no weapon that is formed against us will prosper, and every tongue, the Bible says, that rises against us in judgment, we will condemn. And if he told the children of Israel, which he had, that he had given them the land, we got to have eyes like Joshua and Caleb that says, we can do it because our God is with us. It is what we see he can bring you into your destiny and your breakthrough and your miracle. He has great plans for each of you, but we have to see with spiritual eyes what we see. Another example of seeing with different eyes, if you remember King David in 1 Samuel 17, you remember that he was a shepherd boy out taking care of his father's sheep. I'm sure he wasn't, a, a, if I remember right, was not very big, and he's young, and he's out, and they're taking care of the sheep, but he comes in to bring food and check on his brothers. And at this time, the armies of the Philistines and the armies of the Israelites are lined up for battle. So as he's coming in to bring in his brothers some food, he hears this champion, the Bible says, Goliath, stepping out. He would come in morning and evening, and morning and evening, taunting the Israelites, saying, bring me a man, send a man to me, defying the armies of God. And they were cowering in fear of this giant. Now, if you remember, Saul was a head and shoulders taller than the rest of them, so he might have been the first one that should have went up against this big Goliath, who I believe was over nine foot, so he probably was more fearful than all of them, and of course, he's the king at this time, so they're all standing in fear of this giant, but this young boy, who remembers that God had delivered him from the hand of the lion, and from the hand of the bear, said, who does he think that he is, that he would come against the, the armies of God? So you remember the story as he comes and he hears him coming up against the Lord's armies and constantly bullying them and saying, you know, bring me a man and, and, and send me someone to fight. Let me fight him and constantly uh, taunting God's people. Young King David comes up and he's not cowered in fear at Goliath, but he said, now I'm putting this in my words, but he's saying this loud mouth giant, who does he think he is? I can take him. And they're saying, go back and take care of the sheep. What are you doing out here? You're just being prideful. You can't do it. You're too small. You're
you're too young. You know, sometimes people will tell you, you can't, there's no way, you just don't fit that. You cannot do that. And they will try and put doubt in your mind. But David didn't allow the doubting of others to drown out God's destiny for him. Don't allow the doubts and, and the, uh, the sayings and the opinions of others drown out God's destiny for you. David realized that he needed to step out and take care of this giant. And he didn't allow their doubting of his strength to stop him from doing what God had destined him to do. They said, you can't do it. You're too young. Just go back. But he remembered what God had done for him of delivering him before. And he had seen with spiritual eyes. He said, you just come to me with a sword. You come to me with a sword, but I have the greater weapon. I have the greater power. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. He had full assurance. He had full confidence because he remembered what God had done. You know, a lot of you know I study church history. I love church history. And there's a, I believe, uh, what was second century, second century bishop and martyr called Polycarp. You know, and he went before uh, those that were saying, you need to just, just reject this. You know, you're an old man. You just, he said, 86 years I've served him. And he's always done me good. David was saying, I may be young, but he's been with me in the years past, and he's going to be with me now. He delivered me then, and he delivered me now. We need to remind ourselves where God brought us from. Not live there, but remember where he brought us from so that we can encourage ourselves that he will do it again. He will do it again. Goliath was a bully. He said to David, what am I, a dog? a dog that you would send this young boy out to me? He was trying to change how David perceived the strength that David knew was in God. He didn't have to just look at his physical strength. He had a, a strength on the inside. He knew who his God was. He knew who his God was. He knew where his strength was. It was not with what he could see. It was not with his physical eyes, but with spiritual eyes. He had a new perspective. We've got to change how we see. We've got to change how we see. Number two, not only do we need to change what we see, but we need to change what we believe. In Mark 6, Jesus comes to his own country. And it says in verse 5 that he could do no mighty work there except that he had laid hands on a few people and he healed them. He was limited. He wanted to. I'm sure he intended to. He come back to his own home, but yet he was limited. The Bible says because of their unbelief. They were offended at him. They did not honor him. But they said, isn't that the carpenter's son? You know, sometimes our familiarity will cloud our faith because we're familiar with someone and we forget it doesn't matter how familiar we might be with them, God can still use them. They couldn't see past his familiarity. They couldn't see past him being the carpenter's son, and they were offended at him. They did not believe, and because of that, they limited God. Sometimes we can't see past the natural things. We only see with our eyes the things that are 
material and physical. But you know, in 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says, We do not look at the things that are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. We can limit God by what we believe. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus got into Simon's boat as he was preaching and teaching the multitudes. And it says that when he finished, he said to launch out into the deep, let your nets down for a catch. And if you remember the story, Simon Peter said, but master, we've been fishing all night long, and we've not caught anything. He's probably thinking, what good is it going to do now to put it back in the water? I mean, we caught nothing. We toiled all night long. But what did he said? But at your word, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And the Bible says that their catch was so much that they had to signal for some help and get it in two boats. And what happened to the boat? They started to sink because they were so filled. We got to bend our will to his word. Sometimes it don't make sense, but we've got to bend our will to the word of God. When his word tells us to do it, we need to do it. If you remember the story of Naaman, Remember, it was at Elijah, I believe, in the book of 2 Kings, or Elisha, excuse me. And he told him to go down to the river, and he told him to dip. How many times? Seven times. And this probably made no sense. In fact, I remember, it seemed like he went to the door and he thought, okay, this is a man of God. He'll just speak it and it'll be done. He was kind of offended that he didn't do it that way, but that's not how he did it. He said, go down there seven times. We've got to bend our will, sometimes in how we think it ought to be done, to God's word. It may not make sense to us, but when we walk in obedience to his word, he will supply supernatural resources. So here with Peter, Simon Peter, and those that have been fishing all night, it didn't make sense to them to put that net back down in the water again when they had done it all night. But when they were obedient to the word of God, what happened? is God changed their situation. In order to change what was in the boat, though, he had to change what was in their heart. They had to have a different perspective. They had to believe that God's word, what he said, was true. They had to trust him that he would do what he said he would do, that he would provide. Sometimes we limit God by believing that he will supply just enough. Oh, Lord, if I could just you know, just minister to one person, if I could just reach one person. Why don't we believe God for the miraculous? Why don't we believe God for many? Why don't we believe God for more than enough? He didn't just supply a couple fish in that boat, but he supplied more than enough. It was an abundance. The boats begin to sink with his provision, and we are blessed to be a blessing to others. We want to be a vessel that he can flow through, and as he blesses us in whatever way it is that we can bless others, he's the God of more than enough. He is the God of abundance. He's not short on supply. You remember the miracle. I think it's the only miracle found in all four of the gospel, and that is of the feeding of the 5,000. And in John, we read that the five loaves and the two fish, of course, they could not be enough to all of the 5,000 men, not including the women and the children. And to the disciples, for the Lord to say, well, just sit them in groups and feed them. And 
I'm sure the disciples thought, oh, this you see, there's just there's just five loaves and two fish and all these people. But at the word, they did it. And what happened? God not only supplied for all of them to be filled to the full, not just a little snack. You know, you're thinking just for just a little bit, you're still not going to have enough. But no, God filled them so they were full. And then he said, now gather up the fragments that are left over. He's the God of more than enough. He's not short on supply. He is limitless. Proverbs 13, 22 says, The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young. This King David said, I've been young and now I'm old, but yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Everything you need, you have in him. He says, he shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Now, that don't mean he's going to give you every, you know, car and every desire you want, but he's going to supply every need you have if you would just look to him because he is without limit. There is no limit to his power. There is no limit to his supply. But we've got to change how that we see things and how that we believe, and we also need to change what we say. What we say. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. How many know what we say is important? What comes out of our mouth is important. Those that love it, it says, will eat its fruit. Sometimes you'll say, I'll never amount to nothing. I'll never amount to nothing. I'll never be free from this addiction. I'll never, I'll never walk in a life of freedom. I'll, I'll, I'll never you know, get that job. We start saying these things over our lives, and we limit what God is doing because we're continually speaking death over our lives. But we need to change the way that we speak. Acts chapter 2, if you remember when they went into the upper room waiting for the promise to be sent from the Father, that God had to change his disciples in the world. He had to change their tongue. They were filled with the power. They started speaking a language that they didn't understand. But what were they doing? They were declaring the faithful, wonderful works of God and men from every nation heard it in their own tongue. Changed how they talked. It gave them a boldness of the Holy Spirit to be able to speak things differently. Change your talk. Start declaring his words over your life. He set his seal up on it. He, he has gone before me, so if he is for me, who can be against me? With God, all things are possible. He has set me apart. He has made me more than a conqueror. He has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Change your language. Change your language. You know, the word of God is living. It's not just a book, but the Bible says it is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing asunder the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, is a discerner of our thoughts and the intent of our heart. It is living. Get it in here so that when situations come, you begin to speak the word over your life. Instead of speaking things that are death and saying, I'll never
never do this and I'll never do that. But with Christ, I can do all things. If he has set you to, to do something, he's going to enable you. He's going to equip you. He's going to give you everything that you need is found in him. Ephesians 3 and 20. It's a very familiar scripture I'm sure that many of you are familiar with. But it says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or even think, according to the power that works in us. In us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. The same power, the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead gone through things that we think no one understands, no one gets it, no one understands. 
Whatever. 